0: And we're back. Welcome to episode number three of The Strength Story. Today's guest is actually sitting in Gothenburg as we're recording this. And I'm sitting in Australia. Although, as you know, I am from Gothenburg and he's from Australia, which I think is pretty funny. But anyway, have you ever heard the saying, be so good that they can't ignore you? I feel like something similar applies to Luke but more like be so good that they all smile when they hear your name. Whenever I, for whatever reason, mention Luke's name in the company of other fitness and strength professionals or just like other athletes who's met him, they always say the same thing. Oh, I love Luke. And it strikes me as impressive to be a person who evokes that kind of reaction with literally everyone who's ever encountered you. And in the case of Luke, it makes total sense, which you'll soon find out. One thing I wanna start off by saying before we get into this conversation is that we talk a lot about creating content in this episode. So if you're interested in seeing a really great example of someone who's been able to consistently put up highly valuable and science-backed content for a long time and content that's also easily digestible, I recommend that you head over to Luke's socials after you've listened to this. But for now, let's dive into it. Hi, Luke. Welcome to the Strength Story podcast.
1: Thanks very much. It's always very nice to talk to you.
0: Super glad to have you on. We haven't spoken. uh, We've spoken a bit over, over IG Messenger, but we haven't really spoken since last year, I think. And yeah, that's
1: right. It's been a lot happening, actually. You've moved, I've moved.
0: Yeah. For the people listening who don't know, I you worked with me as my nutrition coach during all of 2020, almost? Mm-hmm. And yep. Wait, didn't, did we start a bit yeah. earlier, 2019? It's like a blur. <laughs> we might have,
1: actually. Um, <laughs> I know it's like right, the last two years. I don't know what's happened.
0: <laughs> it's weird yeah no i think it was uh, in in, around christmas 2019 and and then you helped me actually yeah i think you're right yeah and then uh i got online help from you throughout 2020 which was uh that's
1: right yeah no i think you're right it was fun
0: yeah Uh, i mean obviously that was a hugely fantastic experience and one of the reasons that i really wanted to have you on so that you can talk about how you work and and your systems a little bit more first maybe you could for the people who are not familiar with you introduce yourself and your background a little bit
1: yeah absolutely um so i guess i have been in the fitness industry as a personal trainer since end of 2007 or 2008 and uh, mostly worked in commercial gyms and that sort of stuff. I went to university to study neuroscience during that time and don't really use that too much except for all of the basic physiology stuff. Um, But yeah, just kind of really interested in a lot of the physiology and mechanisms behind stuff. But I, I sort of quickly realized early on in my career that although that's really interesting, it often doesn't have that much of a real impact on someone unless you can... You know make it practical and tie it in with the psychology and all of that sort of stuff as well so i guess that's kind of where i've moved towards is to find ways of understanding some of the research and the complex stuff that's happening out there some of the cutting edge science but still try and make it usable to the end user i suppose um, i've been doing this sort of stuff online for a couple of years now so we actually moved from Sydney in Australia uh, at the end of twenty or start of 2020, actually, just before all the borders and everything started closing and mm. uh, arrived in Europe. I was doing a couple of seminars. And uh, if, for people who don't know, my wife is actually Swedish. So, we were I'd just done a seminar in Stockholm when the borders all started closing in Europe. And so, we were lucky enough to just stay with my in-laws while we were here. And we've just stayed. So, now I'm in Gothenburg. And work completely online with all sorts of people, but generally, I kind of work with people who love training, are really into it, uh, and I suppose want to want to get the results, but also don't want to uh, get to that stage where you're kind of almost burning yourself out, or you know, working almost too hard uh, and not really being that happy while you're doing it. So that's kind of what I do at the moment, and it's it's a lot of fun.
0: Mm. I noticed that was very prevalent when we were working together that a lot of the focus was shifts around mindset and shifts around habits, shifts around how to change your environment, how to think about your day-to-day life and how to set yourself up for better choices around food versus talking only about what, what to eat.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that stuff is... You know what to eat and when to eat and how much of this and how much of that is is all kind of important. But ultimately, I think that our psychology around food and our life in general is kind of has a really meaningful impact on our training results. So, like to give an example, I think if someone actually spends more time on things like hobbies or uh, their nutrition plan allows them to be a bit more sober, social- or to not stress so much over, you know, missing a meal or not hitting their macros exactly, I think that has a tangible like physiological hormonal benefits to their ability to recover from training because they're less stressed and things like that. So I actually think it ends up, you know, you get more out of your training from that sort of stuff um, even though you maybe are being less strict sometimes or or something like that. So I think it's quite an interesting thing to you know, meld all of these different areas of well-being together so that you can get the most out of each of those areas and and i suppose a big thing that that i'm coming from is that i always try to uh, myself be a, a well-rounded human being and i think that actually that sort of pursuit when applied to lifting or sports or something like that ends up creating a like a, a better athlete or creates better results in the gym so that's kind of where i'm coming at it from i guess
0: Mm, And better longevity as well, I can imagine.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Mm. exactly.
0: So to throw it back again, when we worked together, the pandemic hit with full force. And so did the lockdowns in Australia and around the world. And mm. just from my own experience, I rem- remember how difficult adherence was during this time, like the heightened stress, heightened worry, being inside all the time, gyms shutting mm. and so forth. What was that like for you from a coaching perspective to coach people through that?
1: Yeah, that was interesting. Hey, that was not something I was ever expecting to have to coach people through. <laughs> so It was interesting. Um, I think everybody kind of handled it in a different way, uh, which was really interesting to see. There were were some people who sort of felt like it was completely catastrophic. There were some people who actually felt like it was a really good thing because it took them out of their their usual routines and allowed them to to focus on setting new routines, which was actually, it was almost like a blank slate for a lot of people and it helped them to establish some new routines a bit e- more easily and new habits. Mm. And there was kind of everything in between. So I thought it was very interesting. I think it's probably based a lot on, on people's personalities and how they responded to it. But, uh, you know, I had some people who are extremely social and they found that very difficult because suddenly all of that was taken away and they, they didn't really have an outlet for their suppose their their personalities that way. There are other people who kind of almost nothing changed. And that was that was super interesting. So I guess my role was to kind of come in and help provide some perspective for people because you know all of a sudden it's not so easy to do some of the basic stuff that we wanted to do, like training-wise, for example. Um, and so just kind of being like, cool, okay, well, there's not a lot we can do about that. We have this loss of control, but how can we instill control back in your life so that you feel less stressed and you feel like you you kind of have things under control. Um, and that took different shape for different people. Uh, so and I think we spoke a lot about this is kind of like, um, you know, there's things now that are happening that I can't control. Like I can't go to a gym. I, you know, there's a lockdown happening. So what can I control? Okay. Well, I can get into a good sleep routine and maintain that, um, You know, I can work a little bit more on my eating habits. I can work a bit more on maybe having some kind of um, proactive de-stressing routine, whether that is, you know, journaling or stretching or meditation or whatever it happens to be. I can work more on hobbies because ultimately that's going to help keep me happy and a bit more stress-free and that sort of stuff. So that was like a big focus of mine was like, what areas can I try and help someone get back their control over. Mm. And like I said, for some people that was a bit easier because they're kind of homebodies anyway. So it doesn't didn't didn't phase them too much. But for other people it was really, really challenging. And then I think the biggest challenge around all of that was really that things were changing. You know, so there were some countries in particular where it was like, cool, we're out of lockdown now. And then two weeks later, oh no, the numbers are up really high. So we're back into lockdown again. And and I think that that sense of like chopping and changing and the structure was always different. The routine was always different. It's really challenging for some people that roller coaster ride. I know you guys had that in, in Victoria quite a lot as well, where it was like, cool, we're yeah. back out now, but oh, no, we're back in again, and, and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Not knowing what to expect is oftentimes just, yeah, the most difficult part to handle. Like, we can handle quite a yeah. lot as humans, but then there's that sense of uncertainty that drives us crazy. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That's very difficult.
0: Yeah.
1: Very, very difficult. Um, and yeah, and it was like, came in at different levels for everyone. I mean, I know some people with the pandemic who, for example, had their work hours reduced. And so the uncertainty for them was almost around like, man, can I, can I even afford my mortgage anymore or something? For other people it was like, well, I just don't know when I'm going to get to the gym again. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was just like this huge range of things that I, that I ended up seeing, which was interesting to watch.
0: Yeah. so there's a, psychologist. His name is Hugh John Gilmore. He said, he gave this example in his presentation as it relates to how people handle uncertainty, that imagine that I said that tomorrow I'm going to chop your arm off. Like you're in a prison cell. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to take you out and cut your arm off. Like you're going to be stressed about it. It's going to feel really horrible, but you know what's going to happen. You're going to spend the night bracing for that impact and preparing yourself mentally for what's about to come. But if I say tomorrow morning, I'm going to flip a coin. And if it's heads, I'm going to chop your arm off. So you spend all night wondering what's going to happen. And that in itself w- would be the biggest torment, not the actual like the mm-hmm. severance of your arm. And I thought that was such a good example. Like You can really picture that dread of spending a whole night wondering what's going to happen. And I think that applies to smaller situations as well, like lockdown, no lockdown, or... succeed at the meet not to succeed at the meet depending on circumstances Mm -hmm. you know depending on what you're most stressed about at the moment
1: yeah no i think you're totally right and i suppose that's the big issue with the pandemic is kind of like i think psychologically to start with people were a bit like oh well this will be this will be a couple of weeks and then we're we're done or something and it just keeps stretching out And, and even with the situation now it's like you know No, it's a big thing for us as well because we uh, be the same with you. You know, you want to visit family and you're kind of like, well, can we, can we count on it, uh, for summer or for Christmas or for like 2022 or like what's going to happen? And it just keeps changing all the time time because there's no defined end date for it and that can be tough. But I mean, that's a, obviously that's a global scale thing. That's a big deal, but you mentioned even little things. I think that's totally right. You know, when you have uncertainty around things like that, then it's, it can be really, really difficult. So um, I agree. And, and that's why I'm such a big advocate of habits and routine and structure, not, not to the point where like you, you feel inflexible and unable to deviate from it. But I think that it just provides that level of control that um, gives a real sense of confidence and, and well-being to be honest
0: yeah and as it ties into entrepreneurship and the nomad life and everything that you yourself are experiencing at the moment can you see any similarities in how uncertainty creates stress in your work life and your your travel life
1: oh yeah big time big time i mean it's hugely exciting and we're very privileged to be able to essentially live wherever we want you know for a couple of reasons firstly all of our work is online and secondly my wife is swedish so we we can kind of be anywhere in the eu Mm -hmm. um you know which is which is awesome but at the same time like we're kind of going through it at the moment we we have a court's contract here which means uh we we only have a month's notice from our landlord before we have to move and Mm -hmm. like she had a fight with her boyfriend one night and texted us at like, right before we went to bed at like 11 o'clock going, um, yeah, sorry. I just had a fight with my boyfriend. I want to move back into the place. I'm giving you a month's notice. And we were like, fuck man. And then, no. <laughs> and then she texted us back in the morning and went, Oh no, we made up overnight. Don't worry about it. Sorry. And we were just like, Oh <laughs> no. my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Wait until the morning
0: We're so, sending messages like that. So cruel, oh, man.
1: seriously, seriously. Um, you know, so it, it's definitely one of those where we don't kind of know exactly where we're going to be, and and honestly, we we ended up having to make a decision because, uh, you know, what it's like as well. You know, she has family here; I have family in Australia, um, and and we just to kind of give a little bit of context to this. Uh, when you go to Sweden, um, so. The EU laws mean that you essentially can have freedom of movement and freedom to work as an EU citizen and their partners get that as well throughout the EU. So it's it's pretty easy to move around the EU.
0: Mm-hmm. But each
1: country has rules that sort of supersede the EU rules for their own citizens. And that means for a, a Swedish citizen like my my wife, um for me to move to Sweden with her is a separate set of rules and I would have had to apply to to move to Sweden from outside. Side of sweden um, meaning i would have had to be in australia etc so we actually couldn't move to sweden very easily Mm. but you can kind of get around that by first moving to another eu country settling there as an eu citizen and then applying to move back to sweden as an eu citizen using the eu freedom of movement rules so we decided to do that which meant we had to go live somewhere else for like six months and so we moved to the netherlands uh, and it was such an interesting experience because we thought, oh, this is actually quite cool because now we get an opportunity to live in another country. It's going to be exciting. The Netherlands is great, all this sort of stuff. And we, we really enjoyed our time there, but it was completely weird because we knew we weren't going to be there for that long. Mm. And so the whole time we kind of felt like, well, we're not settled here. Um, you know, it, it, like I'm not really going to spend that much time trying to learn the language. I'm not going to. By furniture that we need i'm like you know it yeah. was such an odd experience and then when we eventually so we, we got to sweden and then we kind of found ourselves in the same boat again because we were like okay well how long are we going to stay here now is this going to be a year or like mm-hmm. you know so i guess we we kind of learned from that netherlands experience that no matter how long we end up staying in sweden we, we haven't decided whether we want to live long-term in sweden or australia yet but we kind of have to live here as though we are going to be here for a long time because otherwise you don't actually live a a happy fulfilled existence you know when you're kind of hovering and and not sure all the time either so we've kind of decided like hey we're going to buy the furniture and if we end up having to sell it or whatever and we kind of lose out on the money that's fine but at least we've kind of given it a good crack and felt like comfortable and at home and that we've put down roots and all that sort of stuff so um it's an interesting experience that, that definitely made me think about how, you know, having that sense of control and that sense of permanence or, or having a longer term outlook can really affect your general happiness and how productive you are and all this sort of stuff. So I guess that's kind of a roundabout way to answer your question. But, uh, you know, there's definitely some advantages to being able to move around like that and to have the flexibility. But at the same time, I also think that um, having that sense of control and structure is something that actually allows Us at least to squeeze a little bit more out of life and enjoy it a bit more. To be honest,
0: yeah, I I can I can relate a lot. I uh, find it interesting that it's such a like strong marketing tactic to promote this like nomad lifestyle. You you know pictures of someone sitting on a beach with a laptop (laughs) and uh, living the dream because they have access to that freedom, uh, location freedom. You know, no one no one's going to decide when to show up or not, but. As you will know, and I myself traveled uh, for a year, uh, working at the same time. It's I mean, it's not leisurely, and there is a lot of uncertainty. And you get really tired from not knowing where your phone charger is, <laughs> like always yeah, looking for exactly. is Where did I put it? Where did I put my bag? You know, all of that stuff leads to quite a lot of mental fatigue. Not saying that you can like it's, it's super privileged. It's fantastic in so many different ways, but having a home and a sense of being invested in your environment and the the security of your social network Mm. and all of that. I mean, there's a reason why that feels good to have that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, I've never been so happy to – I bought a a nice uh, desk for myself like a couple of weeks ago and I'm so stoked with it, you know. It seems like so basic but it's – this is, it's not like I didn't have a desk in other places, but it's like, this is the desk that I wanted and it's mine. And yeah. like, I'm going to take it with us if we move, you know, so it's <laughs> just funny how much joy that, that brought me.
0: Yeah, that, that is interesting, but uh, it's understandable as well. So if we picture that a person listening to this is uh, is a coach who wants to work more online and has that aspiration to be, Uh, have that location freedom and be able to work wherever, travel wherever. What advice would you give to them uh, before they embark on that kind of lifestyle?
1: Yeah, uh, interesting. I think it's important to recognize what's important to you in life uh, and, and what your priorities are. Because if you have that, then it really makes your decision making that much easier. So I think kind of going through that process of identifying some of your intrinsic values and, and, and focusing your goals through that is really important. You know, um, you might have, for example, a a certain income goal that you like, and that's a nice objective external goal to have, and that's fine, Mm -hmm. but you have to always think about it through the lens of like, what intrinsic value is this satisfying for me? Maybe your intrinsic value, something that you really care about is like, Hey, you know, above all else, or, or one of the things I value most in my life is freedom. And so maybe it's a case of like, okay, well, then that means I need to have a certain amount of income to satisfy that requirement. But, um, you know, it's important to kind of judge how your business is going and how you're developing as a coach, not on how much money you're making or how much time you spend working or any of that sort of stuff, but more along the lines of those intrinsic values. And I think that that's super important. Uh So, I think that would be the first thing and that's a very, very difficult thing because we obviously, I've personally found that I've fallen into the trap of, um, you know, kind of going, okay, well, uh, you know, I've earned X amount and so I think I have the potential to earn, you know, more than that and I think that's going to afford me more freedom. But it also ended up with me maybe working longer hours and Mm -hmm. uh, being tied to having more tasks to do and all that sort of stuff. And and I slowly sort of realized, actually that's kind of taking away the whole point of why I was doing this stuff online in the first place. Yeah. So you always have to keep that stuff in mind and understand when you make business decisions and things like that, that it it needs to align with that sort of intrinsic value and, and why you're ending up doing this in the first place. Yeah. So I think that's really important. And I think the... The other thing is just to kind of understand that um, when you are in your own environment and when you have a very self-driven business, it's it can be really tough because you get sucked into doing a lot of stuff that uh, maybe isn't as productive or or things you, you don't want to do or you find yourself unable to turn off or things like that. Um, and you know, I wouldn't trade what I do for anything, but I do think that until very Recently, I actually went through a process of going and organizing my work week a little better. And this sounds stupid, but, you know, I found myself just kind of being on with something all the time Mm. and having a sort of structure where it's like, hey, I actually have office hours now uh, and I don't work outside those. I have a time where I consider myself clocked off uh, and that makes all the difference. I actually challenge myself to work like with half the normal hours that I normally do. Mm. Um, and try and fit everything into that. And it, it worked out really, really well. Um, I'm only two weeks in so far, but it's it's working really well. Uh You know, so like for for people out there, you know, I think it's just it's easy to get just lost in this black hole of like trying to chase numbers and trying to chase, um, I suppose, you know, I've got to work to get ahead and all this sort of, you've really just got to keep in mind what you're trying to achieve and why uh, the entire time. Otherwise, it, it doesn't kind of, end up satisfying why you're doing it in the first place.
0: Yeah, huge. And, yeah, more money isn't necessarily more freedom if it requires, as you say, more work hours. And I suppose in some cases, not talking about you specifically, but I imagine for some people an increased internalized pressure to perform better or uh, provide a better service, like higher quality service.
1: Oh, I, I wrestle with that so much because yeah. I, I have a – yeah, yeah, oh, big time because I feel like – look, I, people pay me a premium and I want to provide a premium service but I also uh, – you, you know with my coaching, I'm not the type of coach that like is going to message you every day and be like, hey, did you do what I told you to do or anything like that. Like that's not my style of coaching. I think having self-efficacy is really important
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: means that as a coach, you have to be like pretty hands-off sometimes to be honest And that's the best thing for the client. And so you kind of feel that pressure of like, well, when someone's paying me like, you know, a lot of money, um, but my coaching style and something that I truly believe works best for the person long-term is to be a little bit hands-off sometimes, then that can be a real challenge for one. So you're kind of always looking for ways to provide better service and and it's a difficult thing then. But the other thing is just like, I I guess for me personally, and and I've seen this with a lot of other entrepreneurs is that they have this sort of drive to fulfill their potential. And it's almost like a fear of not hitting what you're capable of that keeps them keeps them going. Yeah. And that's something that is a huge problem for me. And that's why I, I always feel like, well, um, I can work more. So if I work more now, then it means that I'm making myself – like there's less work for me to do in the future and I'm, I'm investing in my future and all this sort of stuff. And that's not a bad attitude to have, but it does mean that I ended up working – like 60 hour weeks, seven days a week, yeah. uh, answering emails at 9 p.m. when I shouldn't be touching my phone, all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was that sort of fear of not fulfilling my potential and always wanting to kind of drive more and more and more. And so that's a real problem for me because, look, I make a good amount of money. Um, you know, we're financially in a very strong position. Uh, and Unfortunately, there have been times where I felt like that wasn't enough. It's certainly enough for me to live and to live a comfortable life, but I started almost viewing the money as a scoreboard in a way because it's like, hey, I feel like I'm capable of running a business that can earn X amount of money and I'm only earning Y amount of money. Mm. And so it wasn't really about the money so much, but it was more about like this figure represents my potential and I feel like I'm not trying hard enough or I'm not doing good enough unless I fulfill my potential. And it's a real easy trap to fall into. So I've actually had to make a conscious decision of like, and this is why I'm, I I, talk, I spoke about the the intrinsic values because um, to me, having freedom and autonomy is very, very, very high on my list. And I realized that, hey, uh, I have this fear of of not fulfilling my potential, but actually if I chase that sort of idea too much, then I'm taking away the whole reason that I'm doing this job in the first place, which is to have freedom and autonomy you know, for myself, um, aside from obviously making a positive impact on other people's lives. But that's kind of a big thing that drives me. So, yeah, it was, it's just super interesting. And I think I see that in a lot of entrepreneurs where it's like they feel like they are capable of achieving more than they could if they worked for somebody else. And that ends up driving them to a point where they're actually sacrificing a lot of their, their mental health and flexibility and happiness.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's so important, as you say, to have that well, it's you need to have that self awareness because no one else will tell you when you're done or where the cap is or yeah. when you've achieved that whatever it is that you're striving for. It's always gonna be up to you to decide when enough is enough. And if you don't have that really clearly laid out for you, what you're actually striving for and what why it's important to you, that that will be infinite, <laughs> infinite work.
1: Yeah exactly no you're right i mean like i i always tell my clients now uh especially it's like awareness is your first step because if you're not even aware of what your behaviors are or yeah what your intrinsic values are or whatever then you you can't modify them you can't change them you can't work towards them so that's the first step and fostering that and practicing it and honing it as a skill is something that we can all do so That's why I I don't really have a particular medium that I like to use necessarily. Like a lot of people like having something like meditation or journaling or something like that as a way of fostering better awareness. Um, I don't really have a preference of any of those. I just think you need to be doing something to actually practice that skill and get better at it and have self-reflection as part of something that you you do regularly. Because like you said, otherwise, like no one else is
0: going to be for you. Yeah, no, for sure. And I wonder how it affects uh, entrepreneurs or business um, owners, coaches in this particular industry where there's also a sense of knowledge that you need to have to understand what you, what you do for work. And the more you learn, the more you understand that there's <laughs> more to learn is that um, Dunning-Kruger yeah. effect. And so particularly in the science-based industry where we work with nutrition and people's bodies uh, in the gym, or if it's about biomechanics or understanding programming or whatever it is, we're always learning something new. I you would because if you're not if you're passionate about it, you're always learning, right? But then you understand more and more how much there is to learn, and then there's that never ending cycle of when am I done.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I think um I've always kind of thought with things like training and nutrition, I guess psychology in general as well, it's the never-ending hole that you can go down. And there's lots of things that are uh, technically optimal or technically better than this or that. You know, I had a client call the other day and one of the things we spoke about was like, hey, for some of my accessory exercises, you know, do I have to do exactly what's programmed or can I just like you know, change it to a different machine if this one's being used or something. And I kind of said, look, you know, technically it's better to just stick to what's programmed. But ultimately, I don't know if there's going to be any practical difference if you chose like this thing that looks very similar, this machine that looks very similar, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I think in in all fields, sometimes we can get really lost with like, There's a lot more knowledge to be gained and there's a lot more knowledge to be applied. But at what point is it sort of making an incremental improvement that you're not really going to even detect, uh, even though it is sort of technically optimal? And I suppose that's where, for my coaching, I focused so much on some of those big pillars, you know what I mean? Hmm. Just because at the end of the day, I don't really care what exercise you're picking if it's like, yeah, I only get five hours of sleep a night or something. It just doesn't make any difference. So that's a really big approach of mine is, you know, what are our, what are our lowest hanging fruit? What do we get the most return on our investment of effort and time and, and worry for? And let's chase those down as much as we can. Um, and that way at least you're kind of going to get 80% of the way there no matter what.
0: Are you saying that you're not expecting a study to come out soon that states that sleep is completely unnecessary and that you don't need to eat protein and enough <laughs> calories to maintain the weight? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's shocking
1: (laughs) yeah you heard it here first
0: yeah okay cool so we can probably prob. i'm saying probably uh can probably rely on some things remaining the same for us to be able to do a fairly decent job
1: (laughs) i'd say so yeah yeah feel reasonably confident about that one
0: but you do do a really great job of providing uh, information on your social channels. I've been following you for a while and listen to your podcast and I really enjoy your blog posts and what you post on on Instagram. And I really wanted to ask you a bit more about that how what that process looks for you to create content.
1: Mm. Um I think originally for me it was just like stuff I'm interested in and I'd be like oh this would be really interesting to post about. Like this was a study that has a, a cool setup or an interesting result or something like that. And I kind of quickly learned that it wasn't really what I was interested in. It was what the audience is interested in that I should be posting about, mm. uh, which can be a bit hard to figure out sometimes um, because some stuff I find completely boring, mm. um, but other people lap up and, and really enjoy. Like, I honestly, I find it really tedious to, to post like, hey, guys, make sure you sleep enough all the time. But mm-hmm. people love it, you know, and, and there's people who actually don't realize how much sleep you need and how much protein you need to eat, even though it's like old news for someone like me who's spent a lot of time reading about it and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I guess the big thing for me is just kind of trying to put myself in the head of the, the people that I would like to work with, the people that I get the most joy out of interacting with and trying to uh, answer questions and speak to them with my content. And so you can see that it's evolved over time where it, it used to be a little bit more, I suppose, um, information dense on, on each uh, slide, I guess, on Instagram. And now it's a little bit more simplified. And and for me, it's I don't want to simplify things to the point where they actually don't make sense anymore. I do think that keeping things simple and explaining things simply is good and, and people always refer back to that sort of quote of like, well, if you can't explain something simply, then you don't really understand it that well. Mm-hmm. I think that's true to an extent. But at the same time, you know, I, what I really hate is when people simplify things to the point where they actually lose all their nuance. You know, I think that that is because context and everything is so important for when we're talking about the human body, there's so many variables, all this different stuff is interacting with each other. You can't just reduce things down to like, well, you need to eat X amount of calories and that's it. You know, it doesn't really work like that. Yeah. Um, so with my content, I'm trying to provide a little bit of nuance and a little bit of context and, and not necessarily give these absolutes but kind of give people some food for thought. And I found that that really seems to work quite well for the type of person that I enjoy interacting with and working with. So my, my process is always just like, okay, what questions or, or interests do these people have um, and how can I just explain one idea uh, I think what I used to do was try to be like, okay, here's a topic and I'm going to try and explain as much as I can about this topic in a single post, whereas now it's kind of refined a little bit more to be like what's one point I can get across here and, and try and drive that home a little bit better. And I feel like that just works a lot a lot better, especially for the, the medium on on Instagram. It, it works way better. With a podcast or something, it's obviously a, a longer form where you can dive into things a little bit more, but you know, I think for Instagram, it, it works better just to have one single point and just chase that down a little bit. And I guess the, the other thing, just that I learned, was that it has to be visually appealing for people. I guess, mm. um, you know, the information can be as can be amazing, can be really, really good. And I've often had posts where I post them, and I'm like, man, this was killer. I really nailed this. Like there's some really interesting stuff here, and the interaction was super poor. And <laughs> you know, I thought it would do really, really well, and it didn't. So you've got to find a way that, that obviously appeals to people visually too.
0: Yeah, pick, pick the right headlines.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It's like the, the clickbait stuff works for a reason. I think you see it across all platforms, like people on, on YouTube, uh, on Instagram, all of these different platforms, people say, oh, I hate clickbait and like I hate these stupid titles and this and that. The title is misleading. Yeah, but... <laughs> You know, that's what gets the clicks. Like you can't blame someone if they're being incentivized to do that. So if you're the idiot who clicks on the clickbait titles all the time, then you're part of the problem. You know what I mean? Uh, so as a content creator, I, I finally understand that now that like, hey, I often write uh, a title or a line or like a subject line on an email or something, and I kind of cringe at myself. I'm like, man, I don't really like this. But, you know, for me to be able to actually deliver good quality information to people to get them to actually even read it in the first place. Sometimes that's what you have to do. So yeah, it's just one of those things.
0: That is interesting. I posted a question sticker on my Instagram a while ago and asked well, how people feel about Reels, and this mm-hmm. me promoting Reels or anything. But I just found it very interesting that a lot of people really hated on Reels. Like, we're some were like utmost disgusted with this new form of medium. And I was like, okay, oh, really? well, fair enough. Uh, I think they're kind of funny. Well, some of them can be informational snippets, which is cool as well. But it led me to thinking about, well, if someone does get a bit drawn in because the headline is interesting or the, the thumbnail looks good and promising or it's a reel about something that's that's funny and you're like, oh, well, that's a bit you know, easy to digest while I'm sitting here bored. And that ends up with me clicking way, my way through to a blog post that actually teaches me something really, really valuable. I don't see the harm. You know, it, it's the intention and mm. where people end up through it, I believe. That is, I suppose, how you would um, justify it.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right. And, you know, in an ideal world, you, you wouldn't have to do that stuff necessarily to catch people's attention, but that's just... You know, that's psychology. That's how we work. <laughs> like there's, there's no getting around that. So you just got to work with it. And uh, like you say, as long as your message is good and you're actually providing some information that's going to make a real difference to people, then why not?
0: Yeah. I think there is another side of the coin where you you can condition people into expecting a certain type of content from you as well. So maybe you're, if it's the first time someone's interacting with me or with you and they don't know why they should trust you or listen to you in the first place, a really good head, headline is going to draw them in. But if they've seen repeatedly that, well, I talk about things that make sense and usually there is value in what I say you condition people into investing more of their time. You don't need to fight for it. You don't need to grasp for attention, which isn't a very nice feeling like, hey, please listen to me. It's it's like people will come to you when you prove over and over that what you're saying is sensible, which you have definitely where I'm trying to get with this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think you're 100% right. And I think also this comes down to probably another area of just like a bit of a cognitive bias of ours where if we see more likes, more follows, more clicks, we automatically assume that that's much better and we, we kind of get biased towards, oh well I gotta do something to get more of that. Yeah. But what I've actually learned is like on Instagram, for example, or or anywhere really, you don't have to have like a huge audience. You don't have you don't have to have this, you know, massive audience and huge reach or anything to firstly make a positive impact on people or to spread quality information or to have a good business off the back of it. Like I've seen some people who have, um, you know, two to 5,000 followers who make an absolute killing off of their Instagram because, like you said, they are such a trusted form of information. People really, really vibe with what they say. They really trust them. And it's not about having the biggest following. It's about having, you know, people who truly believe that what you do is good and and speaking to them and so you know I've, I've seen accounts and i've spoken to people in this industry in the fitness industry for example that have you know like 100k followers or something like that but ultimately a lot of those people are not really the people they want to work with they're not people who engage much of their content mm-hmm. um you know and so it's like we get a little bit caught up in like oh well this type of headline or this type of content generated more likes and sometimes that's a helpful metric, but sometimes it's actually not a helpful metric. So you have to always just remember, like it's not about how many people follow me when I post this stuff. It's about how many people uh, who sort of I truly want to speak to, but I actually reach and make an impact on. And so yeah. uh, I think that's kind of served me quite well because, um, you know, it ends up being that like, if I put out a, 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 like fill out an application for coaching or something like that, generally speaking, I get people who are genuinely interested. They're people that I can genuinely help. They're people that I get on well with personality-wise. And that just makes my life a whole bunch easier because I don't have to trawl through a bunch of tire kickers. I don't have to trawl through a bunch of people who aren't a good fit for me, all of that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, that's a hugely important point you're making. And I mean, just imagine if you got on a Zoom call To have a presentation or something and 2500 people were there listening you you would be shocked by the amount of audience you had in that case oh exactly that everyone cared about what you said it's that sense of disconnection that makes us feel like the more is better but when we are truly connected to the people in our like audience community whatever you want to call it the numbers you get a different perspective on how many people 2500 actually are
1: yeah, and I mean, think about how many clients are you going to work with over your entire life. Yeah. Like, it's not that many, you know? So, yeah. like, if you're reaching a few hundred people and making them, like, you know, making a real true connection with a few hundred people, that's enough, man. That's more than enough, so.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you often hear about, like, conversion rates being around 1% to 3%. And I, I get that that might be true in some cases in some industries but I'm not so sure that is actually true with people who have spent their time building up trust, building up, you know, spent their time giving that good free value and, and talking to people forming connections and so forth. I don't think that number is nearly accurate anymore.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I agree. It's look, it's, it's different when you, and I think this is actually just to kind of bring it back to something we were speaking about before where, um, you know, I still do everything in my business myself and I've had the opportunity with, with where I'm at with my business and all that sort of stuff to scale it much bigger if I wanted to. And I can do that. Like I could hire people to work for me. I could have a bunch of things taken care of for me. I could scale it so that the, um, the, uh, the income is, you know, probably like triple or something like that. I could go through that process, but, um, that's that's the kind of thing where you're talking about like yeah now it's now it's paid advertising and you're getting like you know one to three percent conversion rate and there's going to be a lot of people that you don't that come through that you don't really have a good connection with that don't really trust you yet mm. all this sort of stuff and it was just something that I made a conscious decision like I don't really want to do that because for mm. me right now if I if I like talk to someone on the phone or if someone um, puts through a coaching application it's kind of like there's an 80% chance we're going to be a good fit for me. And if they're a good fit for me, there's like a 90% chance they're going to go ahead with it and, and become a client. And yeah. that makes the whole process so much nicer because you know if someone's getting on a call with you or um, has applied to work with you and you're going to have that conversation that the, the pressure's off because you don't have to go through this whole process of like, oh, I don't know if I can really help this person. And they also don't feel sell me into a coaching program and the whole interaction is so much nicer and i don't have to stress about like far out man if i want to get another five clients i have to do 50 phone calls like no i have to do like maybe eight (laughs) you know what i mean um and then and that's so much nicer to actually just take my time and focus on those and give those people my full focus like it's just so much better
0: That that is so interesting and it's such a good point because one of the things i hear the most frequently expressed when i ask what people struggle with with social media and building an online business like what is holding you back what's the stress about it's that people don't like selling mm. um, i'm talking specifically about powerlifting powerlifting coaches or coaches in the strength wellness industry and i think that might be a bit related to what we work with so selling doesn't sit nicely <laughs> for some i know that's yeah, fair totally. but if you if you go about it in this way that you sort of present the information that you feel passionate about presenting, you do it in a way that you know will serve people really well, you do it consistently over time, like you you don't have to sell that much. It like sells itself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, I think it like the for me, the sales process is literally like, I want to see if we're actually a good fit for each other. I want to see if I can genuinely help you. And yeah. if I can, here's how I think it should happen. And as long as I've actually listened to that person's problems and given them a genuine solution for it, then that's basically the sales process. You know what I mean? It's not a case of sitting there trying to convince someone or use sleazy tactics. It's literally like being able to go like, Hey, you have X, Y, Z problem. Um, as a professional, who's good at what they do, this is how I can help you with it. Um, and that's pretty much it, you know? And then it works like, If you get good at that, then it doesn't feel sleazy, and the other person doesn't feel like they're being sold to. They just genuinely get excited because they can see how they can get a solution to their problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I noticed very a very clear thing for myself when I was promoting my coaching. I didn't do that very often, but when I did, when it was necessary, and I did it, it it, those people who came through were ninety nine percent women who wanted to work on their mindset, and I just thought that was. Oh, it very fascinating to me because I have like, at the time I mm. had like 70% male followers and the, most of the comments were like, you know, males impressed by big lifts. <laughs> very like, <powerlifting-centered laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> audience
0: fair enough, like fine, whatever. But when it came to the actual business side, when I actually used social media to get more clients, the ones who came through were the ones I really wanted to work with. The ones I clicked really well with and who obviously... Like, had heard me and my message been through, like, mm. in my captions and such. So, yeah, it sorts itself out, itself out. And then you get on the call to sort of introduce yourself and see, like, hey, here are the expectations. Does that sound good to you? Okay, well, that's mm. this is how I work. What do you think?
1: Yeah, but I think that's full credit to you because you obviously had a, a big following and a lot of people who were following you because, like, hey, I'm really impressed with the lifts and all this sort of stuff. But you were, you obviously knew that like, hey, that's that's not necessarily what I'm here for. This is like the, the stuff that I that I really want to do and what I really want to help people with. And so you kind of took that move of, of changing your message around that despite the fact that you know if you post a, like a squat PR, you're going to get like a million likes on it, you know what I mean? Um, so I think that was really good. And then it to use sales language, it pre-sells people if they already like – Can identify with your message and then they get on a call with you or something and it's like you've already done the legwork because they're already on board with what you do so it's full credit to you for just taking the plunge and doing that
0: well thank you and i i find it interesting how powerlifting coaches can use lifting as marketing like realistically your clients don't care that much about your lifting Um, they might be like go come on awesome like supportive in that way which is Which is nice like there's a relationship building aspect of supporting each other's lifting journey but in the end they care about their lifting and how you can help them (laughs) so if you don't show exactly like with your words how you think about things and honestly like be vulnerable with the things you've gone through that you've worked through and talk about how your what your coaching philosophy is or your philosophy around, around mindset is in the gym and so forth You'll only have fans. You won't have people who want to work with you. And I imagine that as a coach, if you want to build a business, you want people who feel like they trust you enough to ask for your help.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, I I mean, along those lines, I kind of made a conscious decision not to post a ton of like transformation pictures and stuff like that, because I didn't, I didn't want that sort of aspect to my business, I guess. Um, it's not a bad thing. I, I no. really don't want to. As as a coach, it's obviously one of the most powerful marketing marketing tools you can use is is a transformation picture. But it was just something where I felt like I was in a position where um, I didn't need to do that, and then it, uh yeah. As you say, I found that more around you know, my showing my personality and my style and things that I've personally struggled with and things that I, you know, some of my most popular posts are the things where I say like, hey, I actually got this wrong. Mm. Um, it just helps people identify with you a lot better. So I think it, it makes a lot of sense to do
0: that stuff. Yeah. Like, what does it say about you that you got it wrong? Does it say that you don't know what you're talking about now or does it say that you're willing to investigate further? It, <laughs> like it's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be very suspicious if someone didn't admit that they could potentially be wrong. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right.
0: Have you ever found that it was, that it was difficult to post? I should, I should ask straight up. Have you ever had those feelings of like self doubt and imposter syndrome come up for you as you're posting on socials?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All the time. All the time. Because I know that. There are people out there who know more about stuff than I do. Um, you know, really, I'm, I'm playing at being, a, a, I suppose, a researcher or a scientist when I'm not really that in, in a way. Like, um, there's, there's the stuff that I post about, there's always going to be some expert out there who knows, like, a shit ton more than me. Um, and there's always going to be stuff where, like, you – I guess you're just open to criticism in a, in a forum like social media, where if you put something up, it's always terrifying because you know that there's going to be potentially tens of thousands of people looking at it and they're able to, to nitpick you. You know, if I post up a picture of myself training or something, someone's going to be like, oh, well, you're not executing that right, this and that, or I post up some information. Well, what about this situation? What about that situation? Actually, you got this wrong. And um, that's really difficult, you know, mm. uh, as confident as I am that I that I do the work to be an expert in my field, you know, I, I spend every, some time every day doing more research and studying and that sort of stuff, no matter what, you still post stuff and be like, man, there's going to be someone out there who knows more about this than me or someone who could potentially nitpick me on this or someone who's going to criticize me about it. It's, it's always going to happen. And I think those posts where I went, look, I'm just going to go in and say, put my hand up and be like, hey, I was wrong about this, but this is how I've changed my mind and this is where I'm at right now. And actually, I might be wrong about this and I might be posting again in a year's time being like, actually, I got this wrong too. Mm. That was just a cathartic experience for me because you kind of just embraced it. You just let it go and went like, yeah, man, I'm going to get stuff wrong, Um, you know, because I hate being wrong, like, (laughs) I really hate being wrong it's a it's almost physically painful for me like I kind of always feel like my way is the right way in this kind of thing yeah um or I always used to I think I've gotten a lot better around that uh but it was one of those things where just being able to let go of that burden of always having to be right or if someone says actually you're wrong about this and that and then you having to try and sort of defend it or whatever just going like yeah okay fair enough got that wrong It was just so freeing um very very difficult to do of course like it's easier said than done but uh Mm. just having that mindset i think uh takes so much pressure off and it allows you to um put yourself out there a bit more and to show people your more vulnerable side and to show that you're a real human being because i think often as coaches people expect that if i'm being coached by someone then they need to be a lot better at whatever they're being coached for so like you know, people will come to someone simply because they're in great shape or simply because they're a really strong powerlifter mm. expecting like, well, my coach has to be better at this than me. And that's not true. Um, and when you as a coach end up showing people like, hey, I'm a real human being too. Like, I don't just have abs because I have abs. It's like, I still struggle with having to, um, you know, manage my food intake. I still have to like try and get enough protein every day. I don't feel like going to the gym most of the time, to be perfectly honest with you, but I go anyway. Like I'm a real person as well. I have those struggles as well. And ironically enough, it's when you show those imperfections, it's when people can really identify with you and be like, hey, that's really cool. I can actually trust this person because they've been in the same situation as me or they know how I feel or they figured out a way to get around this uh, or they're just honest. Because they're going to put up their imperfections on social media. So yeah, it's, it's actually been a, a really big step for me to take. I think
0: it does sound like a huge mindset shift, and it, it does sound like it, it must have been hard to yeah to establish that. And have you have you gotten a lot of Chris's criticism on on things you've posted?
1: Uh not really. No, actually, which is funny because, you know, you get a bit paranoid about it. And then at the end of the day, (laughs) not really many people actually (laughs) come after me or anything. You know, there's some people obviously who um, put themselves in a position where they like getting in fights on the internet and that sort of stuff. And then they get a lot of criticism back and that sort of thing. And, you know, I, I really don't like the whole, you know, calling people out kind of culture and that kind of thing. For me, it's more about, hey, these are my ideas around things and this is what I think is, is correct rather than like well I think this is wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong it's for me it's a different sort of mindset it's a mindset of like well I think this is how what's right and this is what's right and this is what's right and it kind of implies that other things are maybe not the best way to do things but I don't explicitly go out of my way to kind of shoot down those things because I think that's being done enough in this industry um, and so I think for that reason I actually don't really attract like a lot of trolls or negative comments or anything like that which is, which is really nice but certainly I think as you're um, as your reach grows, there's just naturally going to be more eyes on your content, and there's going to be your content's going to reach more people who don't actually care about you or know much of your history or know what you're about or anything like that. And then yeah. you do expose yourself to, like, you know, I suppose more, um, more criticism or, or more people just like leaving careless comments and stuff like that. But I, I have to say, um, I think because I've presented myself as someone who is, you know, fairly balanced and, and open-minded towards like, Hey, this could be right, but it could be wrong. I think that I kind of avoided a lot of that, um, which is a double-edged sword because, you know, on, on social media and when you're creating content, it's typically the stuff that is a little bit polarizing that tends to get a lot more eyes. And, um, you know, I've I've specifically, I've had business coaching before where they said, Hey, if you're making Instagram posts, like you got to take a side and, and be like create some kind of, uh, you know, an A versus B kind of thing. Really? Um, Because Mm -hmm. you get a lot more attention that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh and this is from people, I mean, it's legitimate. Like they've grown their 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 followings to like hundreds of thousands doing this sort of method because you you just get so much more attention. Mm. But that's not firstly, it's not really my personality. Um and secondly, then you're just inviting a lot of back and forth and 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 hate, I suppose, online and some people handle that better than others. And for me personally, I don't want the stress of that. You know, I, I very much find that if I get those one or two negative comments, I have to actively work to kind of be like, no, that's just like a negativity bias. It's, you know, you've got 100 positive comments and two stupid ones and stop thinking about the two stupid ones, you know. Um, so, yeah, I just made a conscious decision not to do that. But it's it's interesting how it works like that.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, so now I have three questions. Which one should I word first? <laughs> um. <laughs> Well you you put, uh, you uh, created a post a while ago and um I think I must have reshared this post like three times cuz I just really resonate with the the things you say. Uh well, one of the um, wait the headline I believe is daily stressors don't always involve major life events.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And,
0: and you mentioned that there's a reason why you don't hesitate to to block someone or remove someone if they're being a troll. And um I mean yep. As you can imagine, with the, with me, I've had to do that many times. And I felt guilty at first. Well, first, let me preface by saying there's a difference between getting constructive criticism. And that usually comes out in the form of a question. Like when people are actually interested in talking to you, they will usually ask, what did you mean by this? Hmm. And then talk to you. So criticism is... It's a fantastic thing if it's presented by someone who really wants to have a conversation. But then there's the one who's just like, yeah, <laughs> a troll. Let's just say it. Let's just <laughs> say it, yeah. call it what it is. It's a troll. And they just want to hurt. That's what pe- some people want to do for some reason, And uh, the day and age we live in. And I used to feel really guilty when I blocked people because I felt like I had this sense of, responsibility to address and always talk back and always you know have that respectable tone and and so forth and occasionally I would comment back and be like why did you say that or thank you for posting here I'd be interesting interested in hearing what you think I should have said instead (laughs) you know just meet them as respectfully as possible in the end now if someone says some bullshit to me I just block them straight away I, don't, I have no interest yep. in carrying on the conversation. And your post there, like what you said, really helped me solidify that this is totally okay. Would you be able to recap that a little bit? What does it mean that daily stressors doesn't always have to be major life events?
1: Yeah, th- so there's this concept in psychology that there are sort of lots of minor events, I guess, that kind of add up to create stresses in our life so it's not just like these big traumatic events and major life changes like i think we've all seen that scale where you know um i think they actually one of the studies came up with something called life change units where they like put things on a scale of uh like 10 to 100 on on how much of a a big life event this is and so you have those things like death of a family member um personal injury losing your job Um, changing to a different line of work, getting divorced, all of these things are like major life events and major stressors. And those are obviously the major ones, but there are smaller ones as well, like a change in your sleeping habits or if you um, change schools or things like that, that's a lot smaller. But there are actually things that they call in the research daily hassles. And daily hassles are just tiny little things that can uh, contribute to your overall feelings of stress. So some of the big ones that are usually uh, put out there are things like your daily commute, you know, having to wait for the bus or mm-hmm. um, being in traffic or like forgetting your lunch at home and then <laughs> having to go out and buy it or, you know, you've got that like maybe there's like a, an alarm that always beeps in the background or something at work or it's just like these really minor things that you kind of go, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's something i got to get over or whatever. But they actually make a really big contribution to our overall stress load, I suppose. And so often the major life events like the death of a family member or a divorce or something like that are things that we can't really control, you know. And so I think sometimes people go like, oh, yeah, this person's had a lot of stress. Like, uh, you know, you're under stress at work or something like that. And so you have to do something to mitigate that stress. And there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, a lot of those events are not really something you can control. Whereas the small things, the small daily stresses are often things that you do have some small degree of control over. Uh, Something like blocking trolls on Instagram is a really big one. You don't have to engage with that. And it's a really minor thing that you're probably going to forget about after a day or so. But just being able to remove that from your life is huge. And often there's it's a lot of small things like you, let's say um, it's like there's there's a, a table you always bump into at home every time you walk around it. It's like you can move the table and that doesn't seem like it's going to make much of a difference to your overall stress load, but it actually probably does. Uh, there's lots of little things where you can kind of reduce the friction and then it makes you more resilient to those larger life stresses like losing your job or uh, interest rates going up on your mortgage, or something like that. So I think it's a it's an interesting thing. And once I kind of read about this in the psychology literature, I was like, huh. I really want to pay attention to my environment and see what I can streamline to just make my life a little bit easier. And it's really amazing when you start to see all these little things. And that and that's why I'm I'm so big on routine and structure because, you know, if you're someone who can, for example get into the habit of food prepping ahead of time then it completely reduces that stress of like having to think of a meal to make from scratch and like I don't have time and I have to fit this in and all that sort of stuff for example and it's really incredible and it kind of ties back to what I was talking about with um, you know when we were in the Netherlands and like uh, all of our furniture wasn't the stuff that we really liked and like the apartment had a little bit of mold in it and that was a bit annoying and this and that And, and now it's like something as simple as like having a table that's big enough to fit all my stuff on top of it mm-hmm. actually makes a really big difference to my overall levels of stress and happiness. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's an important thing to just kind of identify those small things and kind of be like, um, you know, I can, I can actually make a little bit of a, of a difference here. And obviously social media is one of those big things that that, that we do have a lot of control over controlling your exposure to, to media um, and, and comments and things like that's a big one.
0: So, mm. And like you said before, like building up routines and structure isn't something you want to do to the point that you become inflexible, but when you Mm -hmm. do, you usually become more flexible with those greater things that require more of your attention. Like you're, you're building flexibility with structure.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It frees up. Um, I often I, I often refer to it as cognitive load. There's a lot of... And this is actually interesting because like I, I mentioned earlier that I I tried to cut my work hours down a lot. And um, one of the things I realized was happening was that there are a lot of little things I was doing that actually don't take very much time, but they take a lot of cognitive load. You know, So sometimes responding to an email it takes five minutes. It's not a lot of time, but the amount of effort to actually... Synthesize the information to respond well, and all this sort of stuff. It actually, it's quite a lot. And if you did, you know, if you sent fifteen detailed emails a day, yes, on paper, you know, maybe that takes you an hour. But psychologically or, or cognitively, it's actually really taxing. And if you can then systemize those things or build habits, it actually reduces the cognitive load a lot because you're not thinking about those things so much. So things like food prep or whatever your your daily routines, the more you do them. The less active thoughts you have to have about them, and that actually reduces your cognitive load, and it frees up that those sort of mental resources for other things, like you mentioned. It just doesn't take as much attention.
0: Mm. And uh, it takes a bit of time to build that habit up as well. You gotta kind of give yourself a bit of a bit of slack or a bit of a bit of grace, I suppose. Yeah. To not expect that to happen in a week <laughs> necessarily.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
0: So being mindful of your time, I haven't learned yet how to keep podcasts under an hour. So I appreciate that you're still still (laughs) there. That's totally cool. It's (laughs)
1: it's no stress for me. Uh, It's all good.
0: You mentioned earlier that you had a business coach that gave you that advice. That was really interesting. Do you find that... Would you say that it's a good idea to get a business coach when you're starting your own business? Or is there more of a risk that you end up working with people who give you advice that isn't necessarily so good for you?
1: It's a tough one, hey, because I think a lot of business coaches out there are maybe a little bit predatory, to be honest in the fitness industry, like they just don't really know what they're talking about or they have really generic content and that sort of stuff. So I, I held off on getting business coaching for a long time, but it ended up being a good move for me because mm. I think like any other coaching, often you kind of know what you have to do, but just having the accountability and the structure in place to get you to do it is yep. is the key. And for me, it pushed me ahead probably, you know, a couple of years just going in and doing even – even just a few months of business coaching because it made me actually do things. And um, I think some of us also, when we are entrepreneurs and we run our own business, we, we tend to have perfectionist tendencies. It's like, I don't want to release this product or something until I really feel like it's it's right. And for me, I, I kind of realized that oftentimes just taking action, even if it is imperfect, is, is, is the best move. Mm-hmm. And the business coaching helped me to do that. And again... You don't have to take on board absolutely everything that your business coach tells you to do, yeah. but uh, it really helps to give you some perspective. It's like it's like any other coaching, I suppose. So, you know, for example, that sort of advice with the Instagram, um, you know, being a little bit divisive and a little bit edgy like that, I totally understand why they recommended that. But for me, I just kind of went, look, I don't think that's really for me. Um, so I'm not going to implement that. But there were tons of other things where I actually just needed to kick up a bum to do it. So <laughs> I think it's really worthwhile, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Something doesn't have to be either useful or useless. Yeah, exactly. I had a business. I have, I have a business coach. I've been working with her for a while and I find that um, when we book our calls, it's always the week before the call that I get the most done. <laughs> <She's>, yeah. <laughs> she yeah, exactly. All the action <laughs> for some reason.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, it's funny like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yeah just one of those things like I said you often know kind of what you have to do and it's just being actually having the the commitment to doing it makes all the difference
0: yeah but you're right though it it is in parts I'm not definitely not saying all of it but in parts it can be a, a bit of a predatory industry and I don't think all business coaches or marketing coaches are aware of the tactics they teach I think there is a I think there are very well-established methods within marketing that people have just learned and hmm. they don't realize that some of those methods are manipulative. They just convert better. So obviously you should use them. Why not? You know, <laughs> But yeah. yeah, that's just uh, the unfortunate side of it, I suppose. But hey, if people wanted to work with you, how would they uh, be able to do that? What are you, working, what are you offering at the moment?
1: Yeah, I do one-on-one coaching. And like I said before, it's really sort of dependent on whether we're a good fit or not. So more than happy to, you know, have a chat to people and, and see if that's the case with, without sort of any pressure of, of being sold to, which I yeah. think is quite nice. Um, I've also got a another product that I'm coming up with, which is more like a sort of templated training program that's got a little bit of flexibility in it just to give people a bit of a taste of what I'm about and give them an entry point where they can kind of understand what you know good programming looks like and that sort of thing without having to necessarily commit to one-on-one coaching so that's going to be coming up in a few weeks time but uh everything's on my website luke Uh you can have a look and and sort of learn a little bit more about coaching and that sort of stuff over there if you want to and otherwise my instagram is underscore luke and you can see if you like the information i'm putting out and and how i do it so that's pretty much where i'm at
0: Sweet, awesome. Thank you again, Luke, so much for coming on and and chatting with me today for for a full hour and 10 minutes. (laughs) It was really interesting. Uh, I have so many more questions. I I love to come back.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I love talking to you. So we can definitely do another one at some point.
0: That sounds good. Uh, I'll let you go and please give all my best to Fanny. And I hope you enjoy the the rainy, beautiful city that is Gothenburg.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is a beautiful city. She says hi as well, by the way. She told oh, me to say great. hi. That's good.
0: And if you need an apartment, let me know. My mom is um is a landlord. <laughs> Maybe we oh
1: really? Right. Yeah. We're getting kicked out of our place. She actually gave us notice the other day as well. So.
0: Oh, she did actually. Okay, yeah. All right, I'll message you about yeah. that.
1: <laughs> yeah, cool. That would be pretty handy.
0: <laughs> well, well, you never know. But it's always good to have some contacts in case in case something comes up yeah for sure that would be cool all right take care and uh, i hope to speak to you soon and to everyone who listened make sure to go follow luke and get in touch with him if you want an awesome person to help you with your help you coach you with your nutrition (laughs) and training thanks a ton take care see ya see ya thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoy this episode and as per usual if you did like it or if you had any thoughts in particular about what we talked about or maybe ideas about future guests that you want to come on send me a dm and let me know what you're thinking you can reach me at isabella from Weissenberry on instagram or you can email me at isabella at thestrengthstory.com